Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Overcoming Temptation by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I just thank you that you're glorious. I thank you for, as we bow our heads in prayer, we are, we are grateful, Lord, because we see the tragedy that is unfolding in many countries. And I just thank you for your hand of protection. We think of the families that have lost lives because of coronavirus right now in Australia. And it's a tragedy, Lord. But we do thank you, Lord, that largely we have have missed this. Lord, we pray for future protection and we pray for our government leaders that you would keep them at this time. As we come around your word, our desire, Lord, is to hear your voice. And so I pray this morning that every person would hear you speaking to them as we unfold your word. Bless your wonderful name this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, this morning, as I said, we're going to talk about overcoming temptation. If you've got your Bibles, please meet me firstly in James chapter 1. And then we will finish off this morning in Matthew chapter 4. Now, as we work our way through, uh, we're going to unpack overcoming temptation today. But as we do, uh, I want you to know that when we get to the end, I want to give you five things. We're going to sum it all up about how you can overcome temptation and how it is that we can overcome temptation. Uh, But first of all, why overcoming? Why Overcomers Month? Uh, Jesus won the victory for us at Calvary. Jesus has won the victory on the cross and he has given us the authority to live in that victory. And so we are overcomers. And all too often, the church is allowing other people, uh, other institutions and the enemy to dictate what our lives look like and what it is that we believe. So this month, we're aiming to overcome. And this is an area that we are all going to struggle with. This is an area that we will all encounter is the area of temptation. Now, uh, most of you who know me will know that I'm a fly fisherman. Now, all of the elite people are fly fishermen. It's an elite form of fishing, fly fishing. Uh, Now with fly fishing, it's all about the art of deception. Now when it comes to trout, we use very small flies that are used to represent a food item. And and up here in... um, Queensland, we fish for bass and Saratoga. The flies are much bigger, but, but the whole idea is that we're taking something fake and artificial and we want, to, we want to deceive the fish. And in amongst all of that, we study the fish. We, we, we want to learn the weaknesses and vulnerabilities. You see, for example, Saratoga are enormously vulnerable. They have a, they have a reactionary side to them where uh, if you can get a fly to make a certain bloop and, and leave a bubble trail, then then it causes a reaction in them. And, and so we learn their weaknesses. We really learn their vulnerabilities and we're trying to expose them and place them under pressure. We learn where they live. We learn all these sorts of things in, in an attempt to try to deceive them. It's much like the enemy. The enemy, the enemy studies you. For those that have read The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, a great book, by the way, it kind of highlights how the enemy works. But but the enemy's studying you. The enemy's watching you. The, the enemy's trying to expose your weaknesses and your vulnerabilities. And uh, I, I know we'd like to think differently. But the truth is we all have weaknesses and we all have vulnerabilities. And we are all, we're going to unpack this this morning, uh, this truth. We are all susceptible 
to temptation. So this morning as we have a look at this, because for temptation, for, for so many of us, for, for so often, uh, it seems as though we're all just like this fish that grabs the fly. And just like, uh, you know, things aren't going to end well for the fish that grabs the fly, you know, you, you're going to drive the hook in and it's going to end in them probably on your dinner plate. But that's the same with temptation. It's an allurement and, and it's an enticement, but it doesn't end well for us. The fruits of where it's going to take us is always a destructive place. Sin is so ever destructive in our lives. So my, my aim this morning, my hope this morning, is to expose what is temptation? What is the process of temptation? I want to answer this question. Where does temptation come from? That's an interesting one. So where does temptation come from? What is temptation? What's the process of temptation? And of course, what is it that we can do to overcome temptation? And I'm sure they're questions that we all ask. So if you're tracking with me and you've opened your Bible to James chapter 1, I want to start at verse 12 this morning. And verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Please bear with me as we work our way through. Uh, uh, temptation means exactly what I just said. It means an incitement to sin. Always always a negative connotation to it, but it's an incitement to sin. It is a, it is a trial or a testing. We will see, uh, depending on what translation you might be following with me this morning, the wording might be slightly different here, but most of it means the same thing. For example, the word trial and the word test is the same word as temptation. Now, when we get to Matthew chapter 4 and we read about the temptation of Jesus, that word temptation in the Greek actually means testing. That should actually read the testing of Jesus. There's some really important stuff we're going to unpack uh, that, that Jesus highlights when he was tempted. And so therefore, uh, temptation is it's an allurement, it's a seduction. And I say that because I want everybody to understand you are making a choice. It's very important that we understand this. And it's also very important that we, that we grab hold of this first line, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. What we need to grasp in this first line that James is trying to highlight is what he did not say. You see, James didn't say, blessed is he who is never tempted. And blessed is he who is far too spiritual to ever give in to temptation. That's not what James said. And so often, uh, so often I hear things like, well, pastor, you know, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, we've all heard those words. You know, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And I've been a, I've been a Christian for many years. And so, so temptation's nothing for me. And that's exactly why we keep falling into temptation, because we are unaware of how vulnerable we are. We are unaware of how exposed we are. The temptation is a problem that comes to men. Temptation is a problem that comes to women. Temptation is a problem that comes to us all. We will be tempted, we will be tested, we will face trials in our lives. James says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, or blessed is he who remains. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, 
He goes on to say, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. And what James is also, uh, other translations will say, or when uh, he has been approved. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's an approving and it's an attesting. It's, here's the best way to understand what James is talking about here. He wants the Christian readers that he's writing to. Now, James is known as the Bishop of Jerusalem. He is the half, this is the half-brother of Jesus. This is the skeptic. That's right. But he's very practical, James. And this is what I like about the epistle of James. He's writing to Jewish believers. He ministered in Jerusalem and he's writing to these guys who think they're above it all and says, you guys are just as vulnerable as everybody else and you need to remain steadfast. So many of us miss that. And I want everybody here to grab hold of that first word. Blessed. Blessed are those who remain steadfast under trial for when, uh, for when you have passed the test or when you have been approved. And And, you know, the first job that I had, most people here might know. I've had many jobs, by the way. We're going to cover a few of them today. But the first job that I had was in radiators. And uh, we had a slogan when I worked at the radiator shop. I I fixed car radiators. We had a slogan that said it was the best place in town to take a leak. And so uh, many people would bring us the radiators. And what we would do is we would put them in an enormous water bath and we would subject them to pressure. And by subjecting them to pressure, we're trying to expose their weaknesses. We're trying to expose their vulnerabilities. And that's exactly what happens to us. James wants these believers to know there are, there are going to be seasons in your life. There are going to be moments in your life. There are going to be people in your life. Everybody said amen to that. There's going to be some people in your life that place you under pressure. That expose your vulnerability that expose your weaknesses. And the whole idea of being approving is we would, we would take those radiators and we would do an enormous amount of work on those radiators. We would, we would strip them down. We would clean them up. We would solder everything, you know, expose them to heat and all these sorts of things. And then the approving of that was when we put them in the bath to test them. And that's exactly what happens to us. We, we, God does an enormous work on the inside of us. And these moments come into our lives that test them. I'd say we're in one of those moments right now. Can I get a few amens this morning? Yeah, I can hear those amens. I reckon right now, some of us are feeling some some enormous aspects of pressure. Isolation can cause pressure. Some of us are feeling like we're under pressure. Some of us are feeling right now that, that our faith might be being tested. We have these moments in our lives. And James says, well, blessed are those who remain steadfast, who stand fast under trials. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Verse 13, we just went past something that I want to stop for a moment. We're going to expose this a little bit more in a moment, but it says here, for which God has promised to those who love him. And I just, I just want to touch on those who love him. I want everybody to know that sin and temptation, sin is the outworking of temptation. We're going to cover that in a moment. But it's all the root cause is a desire problem and a passion problem. Now, we're going to cover this when we finish. But I want to tell you now, right now, if you want to change that, fall in love with God. I want to encourage everybody here to fall in love with God, to fall in love with God in ever-increasing measures, being being empty of ourselves and being empty of these other things and being full of God means that we are so less likely to those 
who love him, fall in love with God. Verse 13, let no one, now we're going to answer one of these questions that I asked before. Let nobody, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts nobody. Now we, we really need to cover this off. We really need to answer the question, okay, when I undergo temptation, who is it that's tempting me? Is God tempting me? The answer here is an absolute no. This is not coming from God. God is not evil. God cannot orchestrate evil. God cannot even conceive sin in any way, shape or form. God can't stand sin. That's why we have a problem. That's why we need Jesus. Our temptations don't come from God. Now, True, we need to understand that God allows us to be exposed. God allows us to be tested. God allows temptation. We're going we're gonna to unpack that in a moment as we get to Matthew chapter 4 as well. Just hang on to that for a moment. But it is not from God. God, God can't tempt you. It is definitely the, the enemy. Let's, let's take an example from Scripture that we might all know. Let's, let's have a look at how this might work a little bit from Scripture. For those of us that know the story of Job, just... Read the first couple of chapters of Job. They are enormously profound. But what we learn from the book of Job is this. Job, everybody thinks this is, this is a big gambling debt between God and the devil. But when you read the whole of Job, you'll understand there's a lot more going on here. But what happens is uh, the enemy comes uh, as he does. And we see this and he comes. It's interesting how it all works. But you can read it for yourself. But what happens is the enemy comes before God and God says, what about my servant Job? <laughs> and the enemy says, well, I'm paraphrasing now. The enemy says, but what am I supposed to do? You've got a hedge of protection around him. And friends, there's an enormous amount of encouragement that comes just from that verse. Just to think that God has placed a hedge of protection around us. That was Job in the Old Testament. According to the life that Job lived, we need to understand that too. But he says, what am I supposed to do? And then, and then what we see is that the enemy, God allows circumstances to come against Job, but God always sets the boundaries. We see that God says to the enemy, yes, you can do this, but only that far. Yes, you can do this, but only that far. Yes, you can, do, you can touch him in his body, but no, you can't. All these things. And what we actually see is God allows these moments, but it is the hand of the enemy. God, temptation is not an action from God. But this morning, as we keep reading through James, I want to talk about something that is very uncomfortable for most of us. Because most of us like to say, well, you know what, if God's not tempting me, then it's all of the enemy. But that's not what James says. Temptation's all the fault of the enemy. Well, yes, evil comes from him. He is the author of evil and sin. I get all of that. Let's have a listen to what James has to say for us this morning. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts nobody. Verse 14. Now we're going to have a look at the process of temptation. Verse 14 says, well, no, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Hang on a second. What did that say? Stop the bus. Press the rewind button here for a moment. Each one of us is tempted when? We are lured away and enticed by our own evil desires. By your desires. All sin is a desire problem. That's right. 
Whenever the enemy is tempting you, he is exposing weaknesses and vulnerabilities in your desires. The greatest work God can do is in the area of our priorities and in the area of our desires in our heart. We all need new hearts. What did David say after Bathsheba? That's why we have Psalms 51. Creating me a clean heart, O God. That word create in the Hebrew means to make or to fashion from nothing. In other words, what David is saying is, don't renovate my heart, God, please. Don't, don't just do it up. Don't fix it. You're going to have to start again and give me a whole new heart, a whole new set of priorities, a whole new set of desires, a whole new set of motivations. You are led away and enticed, which is an absolute fishing term. That's exactly... For, for anybody that uh, uh, understands fishing, and my son Reuben, he doesn't understand fishing at all. It's obvious. You've got to catch fish to be able to understand fishing. But it's right. It's for only for the elite people. <laughs> Can I get an amen? But that's a fishing term. And in the Greek, it means to draw out. It means to, it means to lure away. And the question I have this morning is, where are we being drawn out from? From our safe refuge. What did David say in the Psalms? Oh God, you are my fortress. You are my refuge. You are my rock. You are my strong tower. There are some metaphors and analogies of God. But when we come out from that, it's like the fish, the Saratoga. They, they live in these heavy snags and, and up under the lily pads. But when I put the fly near the lily pads, and, and it lures them out. Friends, we are, we are vulnerable. We have to concede. We have to have eyes to see that we are vulnerable. That's why Jesus commanded us to pray. That's why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray that you're not led into temptation. Why? Because you're vulnerable. And we have a fallen nature inside of us. Now we, now we kind of get a process this morning. I wonder if you can listen to this. Verse 15, when he's lured away by his own evil desires, I want to take, you know, we give the enemy far too much credit. All too often we're blaming the enemy for everything. And, and I know he's the author of evil. And I know he's the originator of sin. And I know he's the enemy. And I get all of that. But we're the ones that are giving him permission, friends. And this is where it happens. Sin will bring destruction in your life. Addiction will bring destruction in your life. And it all starts here. It's a desire problem. And we're opening the door. And although the enemy comes in and wreaks havoc, it's us that opens the door. I need you to understand that this morning. We are led away and enticed when by our own evil desires, we open the door to the wrong person. Let's keep reading this morning. It says in verse 15, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin. Yeah. Uh, I'm really thankful for Martin Luther, the 15th century reformer. We've all heard of Martin Luther. I recently read a biography of Martin Luther. It's like that thick. Oh, sorry, that thick. Really appreciated it. It was by Eric Metaxas. Great, great biography. But I appreciated one thing that Martin Luther said. You see, he's a guy that struggled with sin. He's a guy that thought that righteousness was something he had to achieve in his own strength, that he had to, they had to kind of mortify the flesh for himself. Hang on to that thought for a moment. I've got, I've got some stark news when it comes to that. What Martin Luther said was, you know, he, he realised that when it comes to temptations, when it comes to thoughts, he says, you know what, we can't stop the birds circling above our heads, but we can't stop them making nests in our hair. 
What's Martin Luther saying? Come on, I know we get a few amens out there this morning. But what Martin Luther is saying is, you know what, you can't stop the enemy dropping these thoughts and, these, and, and dropping the flies near the, near the lily pads. But it's up to you whether you eat them. And it's up to you whether you move out of your refuge. It's up to you who you open the door to. Martin Luther is saying, you can't stop being tempted. You can't stop these things coming across your path. But you can stop them becoming a part of your life. That's the message of that quote from Martin Luther. And this morning, as we have a look at this process, you know, I, I was reflecting on this this week and I can remember uh, back in another job I had, oh, this is actually the worst place I've worked. I really didn't like working in this place. I stayed there for, I think, six to eight months or something like that. But I used to work in a morphine factory, uh, making morphine in Tasmania. And for, for anybody who understands the process, morphine starts by growing poppies in the paddock and then the poppies are harvested and they come to us. And we had a process. Now, manufacturing is all about a process. You start here and you work your way through a series of steps and then you come out the other end. Now, we were always looking for the end product to be 96% pure or above, which is, which is enormously pure stuff. And And the variance in that was far too, the process wasn't great, the machinery wasn't great. But here's something I learned about that. Uh, What would happen is, uh, right at step one, right at step one, uh, uh, the guy up in the seed shed, which could be any guy depending on the on, on, on the day, he would, he would pick up bucket loads of these poppies and put them into this enormous hopper. A hopper's just like a conveyor belt. And he would load this up and uh, he had a machine that told him when it was empty. And, and then from the hopper, it would feed into what we called the seed room. Now, basically what that meant was that everything that went into the hopper slowly got fed onto this big round table and that's where the guy was supposed to stand. And what would happen is uh, everything that was in that mix would hit that table and would begin to get sorted. And it would get sifted down. uh, And the job of the guy that was standing there was to let the poppies go through and to pick out all the the thistles and all the weeds and and all those sorts of things. There was an enormous amount of junk that used to come in. And that is actually one of the most important parts of the process. Everybody thought extraction and refinement was the most important part of making morphine. But what the problem is, is if the guy at the seed shed is not doing his job properly, then what happens is down the line, you're trying to deal with far too much junk in the process. In extraction, they're trying to get out all that grass and and all those weeds. And then we get down to refinement. And as you go down the line, there's, there's greater and greater and greater and greater measures of distortion in the product. Do you know it's the same with our lives? Everything, I want to make a statement this morning. Everything that comes into your life comes in a seed. The word of God, as we understand from Jesus, the word of God comes into our life as seed. But so do uh, temptations from the enemy. The enemy is forever dropping seeds into our life. When you're watching television, this is why we have to be careful about what we let past that step one. We need an enormous filter because, you know, you're sitting down watching television all the time and you're watching promiscuous ads and, and over-suggestive uh, kind of sitcom television shows and, and, and we're watching people who flippantly use the name of our saviour in a very flippant swear word kind of manner. And what is happening is all these seeds are coming in and if we're not tuning them out, if we're not shutting them out of our lives, they're coming into the process. And we wonder why we get to the end stage and there's all this distortion in our life. And the problem is we're not 
God dealing with the seed that's coming into our lives. And all seed comes in and it's up to you whether it produces a harvest. It's up to you what the end product looks like because you're the one that filters that seed. Now, the Word of God, it works the same for the Word of God as it does for everything else. And what I mean by that is uh, when the enemy plants these seeds in, if we entertain them, if we begin to think about them, if we begin to plan them, uh, every small compromise, that's what it looks like. It looks like all these small compromises. It's kind of like the guy standing there at the seed basket. You know, he might go, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. Every small bit that he compromises and allows through is causing a bigger problem down the chain. And it's the same for us. What we compromise, what we accept, these little seeds, and then the enemy keeps throwing in more seeds and more seeds and more seeds. The next thing you know, we're overwhelmed. It's the same in our lives. The process, by the time we get down to refinement end, we've got a product that's way less than 96% pure because we've let all the impurities come into our lives. We need to grasp that. And one thing we need to grasp is the person who has the responsibility for what gets past the seed room is us. It's like we're all standing at that table. Let's read that scripture together again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, there's that word again, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then desire when it is conceived. There's the harvest, you see. There's a, there's a gestation period for all of this stuff in our lives. And it's what you give your attention to. It's what you give your focus to. It's what you meditate on. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, he says the church, and he's speaking in the 1950s, but it's still true today. He said the church has lost the art of meditating on the Word of God. And meditating on the Word of God is thinking about the Word of God. It's pondering the Word of God. It's allowing God to take that Word from head knowledge to heart knowledge. We take to heart far too much. We take, friends, the seeds that can come in, the enemy might use people to plant seeds in your life. That's right. Those little comments. I, I know other people are in this frame right now. And this is no joke, but I, it's no joke for you and it was no joke for me. I grew up in a household where I was repeatedly told I would amount to nothing. And I know there's other people in that, that I'll never amount to nothing, that I had no talent, that, that, I, that I was just a waste of time, that, that I was always told that little boys, here's one that we might have all heard, I was always told that little boys should be seen and not heard. And I'm sure other people have heard that. And they're all seeds that go into our lives. And it could be something that other people say. It could be something you hear on television. It could be the lies that you hear through the media at times. They're not all lies. It could be... It could be something that somebody says on social media. The avenue, see the enemy's using all these avenues to plant seeds in your life. And as we're going to see when we get to Matthew chapter 4, just like that seed room, God has constructed a filter for the seeds that come into your life. Here it is right here. I want to tell you that the most important thing from 
in our lives is this. The more you know the revelation of God in his word, the more you know of his word, the more his word is a part of your life, the greater ease by which you filter these things out. You see, the more you know of who you are in Christ, the less other people can tell you who, you, who they think you are. <laughs> the more you know who you are in Christ, the less the enemy can tell you who you are. The enemy would like you to believe many different things. And he'll use whatever avenue he can to plant seeds in your life that'll let you believe that you're somebody else, that you're a failure, that you're always going to make mistakes, that that you're never going to make it. And we're going to have a look at three main areas. If if you're with me in in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to have a look at the three main areas that temptation comes into our lives. We're We're going to struggle with about three main areas. And... We're also going to cover off this, this whole thing about it is written. Now, it is true, we will see, and I want to sow the seed that we're going to deal with later. And that is, Jesus replies to the enemy, to every temptation, it is written. But there's been a little bit of misunderstanding when it comes to this. And I want to cover this off at the end, but I want to, I want to have a look at what's going on here. Uh, as we get to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, let's read what verse 1 says. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, tempted by the devil, but led by the Spirit. There's an uncomfortable verse. Sometimes Luke tells us that Jesus, here's a really important part of this, It says, Luke chapter 4, speaking about the temptation of Jesus, says that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Friends, if you're going to enter into the wilderness, if you're going to be tempted by the enemy, there's prerequisite number one, let's be full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make a statement now that I'm going to qualify by the time we finish. And the statement is this, overcoming temptation. By the time, let's, let's take an example. By the time one of us is perhaps being tempted at infidelity in our marriage, by the time the opportunity has arisen, <laughs> and by the time you and that person are alone, And by the time you find yourself in that position, it's too late to resist temptation. Now, I'm going to qualify that as we move our way along. But what I'm saying is, I'm going to give you one tool you can use if you find yourself in that situation. But what I want to tell you is, by the time you get to that position, and let's, uh, let's take a couple of other examples. By the, time, by the time you're filling out the paperwork to dodge your taxes it's too late. By the time you're being tempted to, to tell that lie, to cover up something, it's too late. By the time those words are, are beginning to form on your mouth, it's, it's too late to resist temptation. If you find yourself in that position, I've got one tool you can use to get out of it. 
But overcoming temptation begins before that happens. Let's, let's have a look at the life of Jesus here. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Uh, into the wilderness. What's the wilderness represent? The wilderness represents solidarity. The, the, the wilderness represents isolation. The wilderness represents vulnerability. Uh, there are seasons of wilderness in our life. In fact, you can experience times like this on every given day. You can experience moments in your life where you're exposed and vulnerable and the enemy will try to wedge his way in. So Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I get that. Something we need to understand about this. We're reading about the testing and the temptation of Jesus. If that is not proof enough that you can be tempted, Jesus, the son of God, right? He could be tempted, so you can be tempted. He was hungry. We are vulnerable as well. Verse three, and the tempter came and said to him, have a listen to what the enemy says here. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. If you are the son of God, some translations will have since you are the son of God. Now, this is not the enemy coming and saying to him, uh, I doubt you're even the son of God. What, what the enemy is saying here is I'm demanding a demonstration that you, if you're the son of God, since you're the son of God, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? I want everybody to know right there and then the enemy is tempting Jesus with something that's enormously possible. You and I can do, speak, jump, dance, wiggle all we like. We are not going to turn stones into bread. But Jesus had that power. Jesus could do this. This is a possibility for Jesus. A temptation never arrives at your door that is not a possibility for you. Since or if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. The first area that many of us will face temptations in is in the lusts of the flesh. Now, I'm going to say something reasonably controversial this morning, but I'm not at risk of any tomatoes or eggs coming my way. I'm going to repeat what I said last week, and that is this. We do not cast out the flesh. We crucify the flesh. Many of us will suffer temptations in our flesh. It's in the appetites of the flesh. We have a sinful nature. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, I want to know how to overcome the flesh, well, tune in when we pick up the Romans series because we're going to move into Romans 6, 7 and 8. And it's covered in that, let me tell you now. But we'll get more about that later. But I need everybody to know we don't cast out the flesh. We crucify the flesh. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Now, Moving forward from this, I need everybody to understand that there are absolutely strongholds that come into people's lives. Uh, There are people that are battling with strongholds, and I get that. But all too often, we try to pass responsibility onto anything and anybody else that we can. Uh, I've heard all the wonderful excuses in my Christian walk from various places and various friends that I have had. I've heard excuses that that look like it's always the enemy. Uh, It's because of some great, 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 Father, 10 generations ago. Come on. And we're always looking for the quick fix and the easy answer. We're, we're always looking. These are going to arrive at some people's doors this morning as reasonably harsh words. But we're always looking for, I've just got to cast this out. When what Jesus demands of us is that you will walk it up the hill of Calvary and lay it at the foot of the cross. 
That's what Jesus is asking. The New Testament is clear. We don't cast these things out. We walk them to the hill of Calvary and we crucify them there. There are moments in our lives. If you, have, if you are oppressed by the enemy, then Jesus can set you free. I want to I make that absolutely clear this morning. And that is the case for some people. I get that. There is a place for deliverance. Please hear me when I say that this morning. But it is a place for that. It's not where we can all cast responsibility. We need to stop looking back 10 generations. Here's another controversial statement that I'm going to make. Uh, What is happening in your life right now is not because of what your great, 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 great grandfather did. No, 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 no. You need to take responsibility for where your life is at. If you need deliverance, Jesus is available. If you need to be saved, Jesus is available. If you're looking for certainty and hope, Jesus is available. You are the one that is responsible. Well, my dad was an alcoholic. That doesn't mean you have to be. But my great-great-grandfather was a Freemason. That doesn't mean you are. These are harsh words this morning. But we do suffer lusts in our flesh. You are the one that's responsible. And you can overcome them, but you've got to take them to the cross and crucify them there. What does that look like? What does it look like for you? It looks like you coming to Jesus in prayer and saying, Jesus, I have this desire. I don't want it anymore. You've got to kill this desire in my life. I want to crucify it. I want to die to it. You have to die to it. You have to deny it. You have to let it die a death in your life. Those desires can look like many different things. Jesus says, Jesus answers. By the way, every answer Jesus gives in this chapter is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. The book of Deuteronomy is called Jesus' book because he quotes it more than anything else. And every one of these quotes is from Deuteronomy. And if you didn't like this one, you're not going to like what the next one exposes. But man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What's Jesus saying? You know what? I, I am not driven... This is a statement by Jesus. I am not driven by the appetites of the flesh. I orientate my life according to the word of God. There's a lesson for that in us. Something we need to understand about God and his word. Very important by the time we conclude today. You see, my words and my actions are separate. Let me explain. If I'm sitting in my lounge room and it's dark and I say, let there be light... There's my words, but my words need to be accompanied with an action of me getting up off my derriere and walking over and turning the light on. But with God, his words and his actions are combined. What do we read in Genesis chapter 1? When God says, let there be light, light was. There was no, that is the action of God. His word is his, God's word and his actions are the same thing. What are you permitting into your life? Let's have a look at the next one. Now, I know, I know some people are going, well, this is, this is quite simple, Pastor. I just need to, 
the process is I just need to memorize heaps of the Bible. And if this is you this morning, then I want you to keep reading through this chapter because what we find next is a little bit of a revelation because if you think this is just, I need to build up a heap of memory verses. And look, uh, by the way, commit the, as much of the word of God as you can to memory. That's a great habit to have in your life and you should do. But if you think you're going to overcome temptation just by spilling off scriptures, I want you to know something. The next part realizes the enemy knows the Bible better than you do. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. The first temptation comes into the lusts of the flesh and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, there it is again. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. Whoa, hang on a second. Now have a look at what the enemy does here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. What are we reading? The enemy has taken scripture, absolutely. The enemy has taken the words of God, absolutely. He is making a case from the word of God, absolutely. But he's done something that is still happening today. He's twisted it. Here's what happens when you twist the word of God. This is why it is enormously important that we treat the word of God with the greatest of respect. This is why we must with reverence, we must with reverence and prayer disperse the word of God and communicate the word of God. We must hold this in the highest regard and of the highest authority. Why? Because it's very easy for us to impart our will into this. I'm going to make... Uh, uh, another statement. I'm making a lot of statements this morning. You'll have to forgive me for those. I'm going to make another statement right now. Here's, here, here's what the temptation is that comes here. The temptation that's coming here is to the pride of life and it comes to all of us and it looks like this. It looks like let's bend the word of God to suit our life when we should be bending our life to fit the word of God. Mm -hmm. We get that around the wrong way all too often. We try to use the word of God to justify our actions, to justify our false and faulty (laughs) theology. When you get the revelation of God wrong, you are going to fall into many pits, friends. You're going to fall into many pits. I've had deep friends that I love dearly, not here in Queensland. I've had deep friends who have run off into adulterous relationships, broken up marriages, smashed families, and then they've opened this here and said that God wants me to be happy and I can find these scriptures here. We need to be very careful about how we handle this word because it can be easily twisted. It's like taking one scripture here that says Judas hung himself and then taking another scripture that says, now go do likewise and trying to form a theology. The enemy if we allow him to, we'll twist scripture and pervert scripture. What does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, and the answer is, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's one of the commandments, and we forget that. 
Anytime you try to back God into a corner, anytime you think uh, by the words that you speak or by your holy, you know, I'm super spiritual. I've been really spiritual this week. So that means that God's got to give me what he wants. Anytime you do that, you're demanding a demonstration from God and it's putting God to the test. Let let me give you an example of what that looks like in recent times. It looks like, I'm not going to name names this morning. You can go and look these stories up for yourself, but this is what it looks like. This is dangerous territory, friends, and I want to warn you about entering into these pitfalls. You're going to find many, many pitfalls that you're going to find if you start down the path of twisting Scripture. If you start down the path of of demanding a demonstration from God, it sounds like this. Uh, We don't care about COVID-19. We don't care about coronavirus. We don't care about the hundreds of thousands around the globe that are dying. We're going to open our churches anyway because we're full of faith and because of why? Because we have these special machines machines that are zapping coronavirus. This is silly, friends. This really is foolishness. That's not faith, it's foolishness. That's telling God, we're going to open church and none of us are going to get it. Uh, We're going to demand a demonstration from you. And what happens is when they do get affected by coronavirus, it's funny how they immediately resort to, well, they didn't have enough faith. Or people start blaming God. You will find yourself in many temptation pitfalls unless you're willing to take the word of God as it says. The challenge of the Christian life is this. We do not bend the word of God to fit our life. We bend our lives to suit the word of God. Our our lives must conform to the word, not the word conform to our lives. Let me take another example this morning. I'm already on the unpopularity train, so let's take another one this morning. A very well-known preacher whose who's one hallmark sermon is based on a scripture, let the weak say, I am strong. You ever heard that verse, let the weak say, I am strong, let the poor say, I am rich? <laughs> no, that's not a verse, that's a Hillsong song. Uh, the second part is, the, the first part, let the weak say, I am strong. Uh, the message sounds a little bit like this. Now, friends, uh, let, let the poor say, I am rich. If you've got nothing in the bank, then you just go around saying it and God's got to match your faith and fill your bank account and God's got to give you that promotion. That's not how it works. In fact, that verse, let the weak say I am strong, comes from Joel chapter 3 verse 10 and it's judgment speech from God. Read the context. And the pitfalls are, what's the pitfalls? The pitfalls are people's faith gets shipwrecked on the rocks because they end up trusting a false theology. We don't put the Lord our God to the test. His word must fit to our lives. Jesus says again, it is written, The temptation comes to the lust of the flesh. Temptation will come to the pride of life. We all want to be the ones in control of our lives. The call of Jesus upon each one of us is to lay down our lives and surrender to him. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. If you will fall down and worship me, isn't it interesting that when we get to the third temptation, uh, by the way, (laughs) there's no, if you are the son of God, (laughs) just FYI, 
If you fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What, what is going on here? Jesus has overcome temptation. Jesus was tempted. We know he was. We, the scripture says that he was tempted and he suffered in every way that we do. And the third challenge, the temptations will come into the lusts and the appetites of the flesh. It will come into the pride and into the will of our lives. And the third aspect is always to what we worship. What is the number one sin you read about in the Old Testament when it comes to the people of Israel? It's idolatry. The enemy, one of the ploys of the enemy is to get you to worship anything, anybody, anyone that he can apart from God. Get you worshipping your career. Get you worshipping your bank account. Get you worshipping your spouse. Get you worshipping hobbies. Come on. That's right. All the golfers, listen to me this morning. That's right. We can be tempted to change what it is that we worship. And every time the the enemy tempted Jesus, Jesus replied with, it is written. And what Jesus is doing is not entering into a memory verse contest with the enemy. What Jesus is doing is he's saying, uh, I orientate, uh, my whole life is fixed upon the word of God. I take my stand upon the word and the word says that I, that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God says that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The word of God says, worship God and worship him only. What is Jesus saying? I have already resolved before you even get here, enemy. I've already resolved that God's word says this and I'm going to live by his word. That is how we overcome temptation. Friends, if you want to know how it is that you can overcome temptation, here's the number one one ticket is the number one way that we all overcome temptation. We resolve today, we're going to live our lives according to the word of God. Before the enemy sows any seeds, we resolve, I'm going to live my life according to the greatest filter that there possibly is. I'm going to orientate my entire life according to the word of God. Can I get some amens? What does Daniel, what do we read about Daniel, the diplomatic prophet? He turned four nations upside down on their heads. And he's a guy that lived for God. He's a guy that absolutely took a stand for God in his times. And what do we read in Daniel chapter one, verse eight? Daniel resolved, Daniel resolved, Daniel resolved not to defile himself. What does that mean? It means before he even got to Babylon, he had resolved, I'm going to honour God. I don't care how good that meat looks. I don't care how well you think you're going to treat me. I don't care how much I think I might deserve this. I've resolved. And that's what Jesus is saying to the enemy right here. I've already resolved that my life is according to the word of God. You make your mind up today. You make your mind up before you even... Before you even get there. You make your mind up before you even say yes to that first little compromise. Uh, You know, I've told this story a few times. Uh, When I was in the forestry planting trees, uh, everything was mounded. We used to have an excavator that used to dig these big ruts for us to plant the trees in. And we got to 
We got to one block and it was so steep that they wouldn't take an excavator on it. We had to take motorbikes and utes on it, but they wouldn't take an excavator on it. And, and so what they decided to do was they just decided we're going to burn the whole thing and free plant it. And so we had these guys, but you still had to maintain straight lines. And we, and we had to do that because you could only plant a certain amount of trees a hectare. And what I found very quickly was that every single person had to walk in a straight line. Now, in one instance, very quickly, one guy, his row had just a, just a slight off-centre to it. But then the next guy, he was a little bit more off-centre and a little bit more, a little bit more. And what happened was, by the time you get halfway across the first hill, instead of a straight row like that, you've got a row like that. These guys are going diagonally on a 45 across the hill. And it all started back here where the first guy made that small little mistake. And so it is with our lives. Friends, the only way to keep straight going up and down the hill is to make sure that you orientate your life according. The only way I fixed those rows was I had to go ahead of the guys and put sticks in and said, just follow these sticks. And so I had guys... <laughs> you need something to, you need a GPS for your life. Otherwise, you're going to end up all over the place. And let me tell you, if you say yes to that first little compromise, it moves a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And the next thing you know, what was a little compromise here is you find yourself over here in complete destruction. That's the process that James gives us. As I bring this to a close this morning, I said I would give you five things that you can do to overcome temptation. Here's number one. I need every one of us, if you're going to overcome temptation, you need to be aware that you are vulnerable. Every male, you are vulnerable. Every female, you are vulnerable. We are vulnerable and weak in different areas, yes, but you're vulnerable. That's why Jesus told his disciples to watch. That's why he commanded us to have a life of prayer. Because we are vulnerable and we need to keep inside of the refuge. Number two, fall in love with God. Change your desires and your appetites. I don't admit this to too many people. I don't, I don't admit this on this platform for too, for too many people. But, but for many years, I struggled with cigarette smoking. Friends, I've got to tell you, there was a, there was a time when I loved to have a cigarette. <laughs> Just loved to have a cigarette. And I struggled with it for many for, I struggled to give up cigarette smoking. And I found that the answer for me was a whole lot of walking that desire up to the cross and just saying, you know what, I, I, but there was a, I had to change the direction of my life. I had to change the outlook. You know, every morning for me, I would wake up in the morning and my whole day was planned around having cigarettes. And so I started to wake up in the morning and plan my day around trying to fall more in love with God. And I'm still doing that today. I still need to fall more in love with him. I'm st- I still ask for his forgiveness, that I don't love him as much as I should. But his, so first one is realise you're vulnerable. Second one is, friends, fall in love with God. Fall in love with God. Focus on God. Get into his word. Get into prayer. Number three, full of the Holy Spirit. You know, the battle against sin has already been won 
And we have a power inside of us that we just need to release. How do you release that? By relying upon it, by giving, by surrendering to that power, by yielding. Romans tells us that we are a slave to whom we yield, to whom we give ourselves to. Full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus entered the wilderness. Number four, and most important, resolve today that you're going to live your life according to the Word of God. Number five, and here's, here's the kind of emergency. You know, you, you know how skydivers, well, we read about skydivers having this emergency call. If the first one doesn't work, pull the second one. <laughs> if the second one doesn't work, start praying. <laughs> Amen. Uh, but it's, th- this, is, this is the emergency valve. This is the emergency release valve. This is, this is like the eject button for the pilot. Everything's gone wrong. You, you, air safety is much like our own lives. Uh, the reason planes don't fall out of the sky is they are maintained well on the ground. That's kind of the same for us. You know, you, you've got to do the foundational work. And, uh, but when everything goes pear-shaped for these fighter pilots and, and there's no chance at all that they can rescue the plane, they have an eject button. And here is your eject button. When you read through the epistles from Paul, Paul's advice to young guys like Timothy you know, and, and, and the churches he's writing to is, is he, when, it's, when he's talking about things like sexual immorality and when he's talking about uh, antichrists and those who pervert the truth, he, he says to flee. He writes to them and he says, flee sexual immorality. Have nothing to do with, uh, with these false teachers. In other words, get away from them. And here's my number. If you find yourself in a crunch position, if you find yourself about to steal something, if you find yourself, just drop everything and run. Jesus was very clear about sin, that we need to make war on sin. What, what, what did Jesus mean when he said, if your, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out? Was that literal? Uh, if your arm causes you to sin, cut it off. What Jesus was actually saying was, we need to be people who are willing to make war on sin in our lives. If you're struggling with pornography, here's the greatest bit of advice I'm going to give you today. Sell your computer and disconnect the internet. If you're struggling with alcohol addiction here this morning, here's the number one advice I'm going to give you. (laughs) Stop going to the bottle shop. Flee. When all else fails, flee. We need to be people who put up boundaries in our lives. Now, I've only used two examples there. But the the message is the same. We need to make war on sin in our lives. If you are going to overcome temptation, if you are going to come to a place of victory over sin in your life, then you need to make war on it. You need to gouge your eye out. You need to hack your arms off. Let's, Let's bring it home to me. Here's the number one lesson I learned when, when I was really longing for a cigarette. What's the way I overcome cigarette smoking? I stopped putting them in my mouth. Sounds simple, sounds stupid, but, but that's, that's, that's the release button. That's the release button. Here's the truth of Scripture. You don't have to live in a cycle of sin 
for the whole of your life. You don't have to give in to temptation. You can overcome temptation. And if all else fails, then flee. Press the emergency button. Get out of there. Ring somebody up. Pick up the phone and go, Oi, I feel like I'm going to have a cigarette. Oi, I, I, I was at the gym and this girl walked past me and smiled at me. I, uh, Oi, I was... Uh, um, whatever it is. Ladies and men, if gossip's a big thing for you, then stop hanging around people that gossip. Go and find yourself a new crowd. Here's the truth. The truth is that for too long, too many of God's people have paid enormous prices. Too many people in ministry have paid an enormous price. They could have been averted had proper boundaries been put in our lives, boundaries that consist of this, and if we all resolve before we even get there, I'm not going to move. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you won the victory at the cross. There are people listening to me this morning that need to make that trip up the hill of Calvary. The truth is, Jesus, we all need to make that trip. Your word is very clear that anybody who comes after you must take up their cross daily and follow you. Every day we open our eyes. Every day I open my eyes, Jesus. I have desires and priorities that I need to walk up that hill and nailed to the cross. We are all in this boat. I pray for those that are in that position. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the wisdom. Give us the insight and discernment to see the attacks of the enemy. I pray that we would be a church who are full of the Holy Spirit who live our lives grounded on and founded upon the word of God. The full revelation of yourself in your word. Holy Spirit, help us. We surrender to you and to your power. We pray for your help. We pray for your strength. Guide us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. May the God of all comfort keep every single one of you. We are in uh, we are in certainly challenging times. And next week, it's no coincidence, but next week we're going to look at overcoming failure. Why? Because every single one of us at some point give in and we take the bait, you know. And we think it's all over. And if that's you, uh, I want you to tune in next week. You might be sitting here right now saying, it's all right, Pastor, to overcome temptation, but I've already fallen over the edge. I've already made a huge mess. I've already... Tune in next week. You know, I, I get the privilege of hearing a lot of people saying, you know, I've made these mistakes and I, I'm just a basket case. I want you to know that failure is a part of life and that we should learn from failure and that failure can be the most positive moment in your life. It can be. So tune in next week for that. Um, God bless you.
Uh, thank you for listening today. And as always, I look forward to next Sunday. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.